welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We're going to talk to two guests today about cancel culture and what it's doing to history. Two people, Bev Sullivan and Rebecca Dillingham, are trying to preserve what they believe is true and valuable in history, and they have good information. And I want to introduce you to them because, you know what, they're just average, average ordinary people. They're, they're, they're not making a living off of this. They're not, um, they're not experts in their field because they have a degree or anything. They're just average people like you and me, and they've taken it upon themselves to try to prevent the revolutionary tidal wave that's coming their way. And so um, I want you to, to learn, listen to Bev first and what he's doing. He's producing curriculum for small groups and homeschool groups. And then Rebecca, who's doing a lot of blogging, and she's um, calling attention to places and uh, actions that are usually... <laughs> often illegal, but uh, where uh, statues are being taken down and these kinds of things. She's got a lot of information on that. So uh, without further ado, Bev Sullivan. And Bev Sullivan has been a uh, friend of mine for a few years, and he's been producing um, basically curriculum. He, he blogs, but he decided to start to format his blogs in a way that um, they're, they're very orderly, but they're, you can actually work through them kind of like you would like a school textbook or something like that. And uh, Bev, thank you for joining me uh, to just talk about some of the work you're doing, because, you know, I think um, this is something you don't get like paid for it. You don't make a living off of it, but this is something you're doing to move the needle where you are and people uh, have used your material and, um, and and you're very thorough. So I appreciate that. So uh, I just want to say thank you for sharing uh, with us a little bit about what you're up to. Sure. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure. So, um, yeah, so tell, tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and then what you're up to as far as producing material on the Founding Fathers. And I know there's a bunch of other stuff. Sure. Um, I, I'm from North Carolina originally. And uh, after college and uh, seminary, I went to seminary twice uh, and earned a, an MARE and then a, an MDiv. I had a couple of church experiences in there, um, but I eventually went to Lifeway Christian Resources as an editor, and I was there as an editor for 17 years. And then in 2012, I was laid off, um, and uh, that was not, uh, you know, something that I would have chosen, uh, but it uh, sent me on a detour that, um, you know, has opened some real doors that I'm, I'm very grateful for. Um, I began to work part-time and uh, I did some editing work for a friend of mine who had been at Lifeway and was launching his own uh, Bible study curriculum online. And uh, uh, also uh, one of the uh, organizations that I had been in touch with and that my wife and I contributed to was Alliance Defending Freedom. A friend of mine at Alliance Defending Freedom uh, knew of my interest in writing and he had seen some of my work and he suggested that I become uh, an ADF ambassador and write a post each week that I could uh, post on the ADF ambassador Facebook page. And so I began to do that. The material uh, is mine and remained mine, but it was a way to uh, be supportive of uh, Alliance Defending Freedom's work. They're a coalition of lawyers that uh, come together to defend religious liberty uh, clients pro bono, uh, clients who are involved in religious liberty uh, cases. 
And uh, so I wrote a lot about that. And uh, this was in 2015. And uh, I had done that for about a year. And then one of my other friends at ADF challenged me to look into uh, Clarence Thomas' dissent in the Obergefell case and to write a series of articles or an article on rights um, based on uh, Clarence Thomas' dissent. And so I dove into that and explored that. And I made some, I have learned so much through this process. I have made some discoveries that I never knew I would be able to make uh, and never imagined making. And uh, in that, the um, article that I attempted to write became an eight-part series. And I explored Clarence Thomas' dissent, what he said uh, in objection to the court's decision to um, make same-sex marriage uh, legal in every state. Um, and Clarence Thomas, in his dissent, um, contrasted the founder's view of rights with the modern view of rights. It's something that you've explored on your uh, podcast as well. In fact, most recently, a couple of um, uh, podcasts ago, you, you introduced the series on uh, uh, terms that are often abused and misused uh, by uh, woke evangelicals by talking about the founders' view of rights and how these were their view of rights that were that uh, or was that um, rights are God-given and government's job is to protect them. And so the term negative rights is often used to refer to those because government has to stay out of individuals' way to allow that person to exercise uh, his or her rights and pursue um, what he wants to do or what she wants to do. But the modern view of rights in America is the, what we would call positive rights. And uh, that means that government has to create or manipulate this, the, the playing field so that uh, people who are deemed you know, deserving of certain rights they're demanding um, uh, get those rights. And so I can't think of a better example of positive rights run amok than same-sex marriage. And so I explore this in, uh, in the series, and that was in uh, 2015. Um, and uh, one of the uh, ways I explored this was with uh, FDR's um, uh, Four Freedoms speech. In his Four Freedoms speech, which was his State of the Union address in January of 1941, he talked about four freedoms that we all must protect around the world. And they were freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Well, the first two rights are guaranteed by the Constitution. The second two are positive rights that the government, uh, it, there is no end to what the government would do to 
establish freedom from want and freedom from fear. And so it hit me that if we are going to win this battle, if we are going to make progress in this battle, people are going to have to come to understand and embrace and reassert the founder's view of rights. Well, tell me a little bit about what you've done, because that's the great information to um, distill this and put it into a manageable um, document or a series of documents sure. for people to understand and where they can get it. Um, the uh, uh, series that I did in 2015, I kept writing. And uh, it, 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 one of the things I discovered with that series was the history is important. And in 2019, I began to write a series in connection with Independence Day that explored uh, 10 truths that are embedded in the Declaration of Independence. That became a, a three-part series. Uh, and I explored uh, looking at the most quoted portion of the Declaration, uh, 10 truths that all align with biblical principles um, that are there, but we often do not understand that they're there. We, uh, our, for, for one thing, our view of uh, rights, for example, or equality, or the law, or um, some other themes, we've departed from the founder's view. And the founders had a biblical view on so much. They uh, held a biblical worldview. And because we've departed from that in modern America, uh, we fail to understand where they were and what they were trying to accomplish. And so uh, later in 2000, a year later, I worked to try to uh, create a Bible study based on this series and uh, it's a five-session series that explores two of the uh, principles in each session. And uh, it dives in, looks at the biblical principles, and ties it into what the founders uh, upheld in the Declaration. Yeah, that's awesome, Bev. Uh, I mean, this is something that would get you probably accused of Christian nationalism in the uh, main the, the elite parlance of the day, at least uh, that's what they'd say. But uh, I uh, want to commend it to people so they can go to where Bev Sullivan dot uh, com. No, What's no, the no, website? No, my, I have two websites. One is uh, wordfoundations.com where I um, publish my articles. And then I've uh, established another uh, website for Bible studies and that's discoverbedrocktruth.org. And, uh, the, if you go to discoverbedrocktruth.org, the homepage uh, lists the Bible studies that are available and provides access okay. to So them. discoverbedrocktruth.org, you can get uh, the studies you've produced on rights, and uh, you'll find out what the Founding Fathers it, believed about that and, and what the Bible it's actually It's actually, the, the first study listed is this uh, 10... Uh, 10 biblical truths embedded in the Declaration of Independence. That's the first study. It's a five session study. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you're good. Yeah. Uh, th the second one is uh, a, a Bible study series, a six session study uh, that upholds the um, 
free enterprise system and uh, helps people understand how this system, as opposed to socialism, is biblical and how socialism is contrary to biblical principles. Yeah, so, so this is something that people can use if they're what? If they're uh, Sunday school, if they're going to a Bible study, homeschool curriculum, yes. what's all of the above? Yes, well, okay. it's, it's, it's created and designed to be used in a group setting. But an individual can explore that on his or her own um, gotcha. and, and interact with the material uh, that way. Well, there's a you... third series. Oh, go ahead. Talk about the third yeah, one. Yeah, the, the, there's a third series that uh, recently did um, based on an article that I had written at Word Foundations. And uh, I took uh, just by uh, exploring some of the things that Karl Marx had said uh, and uh, highlighting those themes as Marxism and contrasting what Marx said to biblical principles to show that Marxism is anti-Christian, anti-biblical. And then there's a uh, epilogue to that where I explore what the founders said about uh, these particular themes. The last uh, study that's available on Discover Bedrock Truth um, is uh, a study that explores the question uh, could Jesus have been God? Uh, if Jesus was, could Jesus have been a good teacher without having been God? And so that was prompted by a study that said that 30% of evangelicals are saying that Jesus uh, could have been a good teacher without being God, but yet he claimed to be God. That's if right. he claimed to be God, then, uh, and what he said was not true, he could never have been a good teacher. Yeah, very true. So um, I wanted to ask, what kind of an impact has this made? I don't know if you know how many people have downloaded your your studies or study on the the uh, Declaration and Rights, but um, are people using this in, in these group settings? Well, I've I've gotten some positive feedback about it, although uh, the 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 first major study series of studies um, the. 10 principles embedded in the Declaration of uh, Independence. I, I couldn't release that until we were right in the middle of COVID <laughs> for that. And uh, it, it, so uh, it's been... It's a good time to release uh, it, actually. <laughs> in a way, it is. Uh, people aren't meeting, uh, right, especially right. at the time, people weren't meeting in groups. But it is something that could be used online. Um, and... Uh, in a all right uh, well a zoom setting mm -hmm. yeah the purpose of this is just to kind of expose what you're doing and, sh and inspire others that look this is something you can do you may not have a degree in history or or uh whatever the field is you think that needs to be addressed or you want to write about but um you know bev is just pursuing his interests here these are just things he uh sparked his curiosity so he started uh going down the rabbit trail and then he found all kinds of things kind of like lost treasures in an attic and he wants other people to know about it so he's written them For down sure. So, um, so Bev, you're an inspiration, uh, because you're doing this and I hope a lot more people do this. And the more educated we are on what the Bible teaches, what our country actually means, uh, knowing history, knowing how they, those things integrate, uh, the better we're going to be able to fight, uh, what's happening right now, this takeover by, uh, Marxism really, but, a 
version of it that's postmodern and uh, hates truth, hates the word of God, hates the founding, all those kinds of things. So, um, so God bless you for what you're doing. Any yeah. final thoughts for us? Uh, well, yes. In the series on um, that I uh, most recently did on um, the uh, how uh, Marxism contrasts with biblical truth. Um, one of the, uh, the the ninth principle, there are nine principles I explore and uh, contrast that uh, to Marxism. And uh, uh, the ninth principle is uh, that remembering a godly heritage and God's redemptive work helps individuals and nations, uh, keeps individuals and nations from straying away from the truth and from right living. Uh, one of the things that Marx realized uh, is that to uh, uh, stir up a nation, conflict within a nation, uh, to create um, a revolution, you have to divorce people from their history. You've explored this in your podcasts. Mark said, if you can cut the people off from their history, then they can be easily persuaded. And, uh, it's interesting, this, the uh, Bible passages that we explore in Principle 9 uh, include Exodus 12, 1 through 28, where uh, God establishes the Passover for the nation of Israel. And then Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, uh, where uh, in the Deuteronomy's listing of the Ten Commandments, uh, the Sabbath is upheld, observe the Sabbath, and remember that the Lord God brought you out of Egypt. And then uh, another passage that we explore is um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 25, where God tells parents to take these principles and uh, think about them and teach them to your children when you rise up, when you lie down. And so uh, on, on an ongoing basis. And so we see there uh, a uh, annual observance established to remember your godly heritage. And then in uh, Deuteronomy, a weekly observance established. And then uh, uh, in the Deuteronomy 6 passage, uh, an ongoing observance established. And so these are biblical principles that tell us we need to remember our godly heritage. In America, our um, uh, heritage is a godly one, and a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and uh, uh, it, I just want to share some of the things that a, a few of the founders said about remembering the, the truth of a godly heritage. Uh, Roger Sherman, who was the only founding father who signed all four uh, founding documents in the United States, uh, said, sad will be the day when the American people forget their traditions and their history. So longer rem uh, remember that their country, the country they love, the institutions they cherish, and the freedom they hope to preserve that they were these were born of the throes of armed resistance to tyranny and nursed in the rugged arms of fearless men. 
John Adams said he was writing a letter to uh, his wife, Abigail, and he just uh, expressed his, his uh, passion for uh, all he had been through. This was in 1777, a year after they had signed the declaration, the Revolutionary War was still going on. And he said, posterity, you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. I know, I hope you will make good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. And Noah Webster said, uh, every child in America should be acquainted with his own country. He should read books that furnish him with ideas that will be useful to him in life and practice. As soon as he opens his lips, he should rehearse the history of his own country. So the founders uh, held a biblical view of remembering a godly heritage. And uh, it's, it's so important because um, the, the founders understood clearly that liberty is fragile and that you cannot have or maintain liberty without uh, uh, virtue. Uh, Francis Schaeffer talked about this in his last book, The Great Evangelical Disaster. And uh, he said, in our own country, we have enjoyed enormous human freedom. But this, at the same time, this freedom has been founded upon forms in government, law, culture, and social morality, which have given stability to the individual and social life and have kept uh, our freedoms from leading to chaos. There is a balance here between form and freedom, which we have come to take as natural in the world. And this is the problem in modern America. We tend to take our freedoms for granted, but when we've departed from God's law and from virtue, uh, people use their freedoms, uh, abuse their freedoms and invade the rights of others. And it creates a, a societal instability. Uh, but the balance between freedom and uh, order, we take it as natural in the world. But Francis Schaeffer said it's not natural. We are utterly foolish if we do not recognize this unique balance, which we have inherited from the Reformation thought forms, is not, uh, not automatic in a fallen world. It, this is clear when we look at the long span of history, but it is equally clear when we see the daily newspaper, read the daily newspaper and see that half the world is locked in totalitarian oppression. Mm -hmm. These are the front lines right now in America. Um, and uh, the, this is, these are issues that the church needs to be talking about. And I hope that uh, what I put together can provide a way for a church to address these issues in a practical sense. These are not political studies, they're Bible studies. And so uh, a, a church uh, could, um, a Sunday school class could use it, a Bible study group could use it, um, and uh, a, a pastor could draw from that material and use it in his uh, presentation and find a great deal of help. And it will help address some of the things that we're uh, facing today. Yeah. Um, 
one thought I had uh, is that in contrasting positive negative rights to positive rights, uh, uh, you think about the freedom from fear and freedom from want uh, that uh, are positive rights or rights that the government has to create. Often the government will exacerbate the problem in effort in its efforts to alleviate it. Um, and uh, I think we see that with welfare. I think we see that with the current uh, pandemic, trying to eliminate fear and what is happening. Fear is snowballing here. Government's job is, biblically speaking, government's job, and people need to understand this, and you get it from the Bible, you get it from Scripture, and uh, people need to be talking about this at church. Government's job is to maintain order by rewarding or commending those who do good and by punishing uh, or those who do wrong. And the good and the wrong are defined by God's uh, moral and ethical standards. Hmm. That is government's job. And our founders understood that too. Yeah. Well, that's excellent, Bev. And I appreciate you uh, creating some of it, or, or I should say, uh, digging up some of these illustrations that uh, help um, really exemplify some of these biblical principles you're talking about. And I hope people will take advantage of it. So um, go plug the website one more time and uh, then I'll let you go. Uh, it's uh, discoverbedrocktruth.org for the Bible studies and uh, for the articles that I've uh created and written and our the series that are related to the bible studies are there and they're clear links to those but that's it uh wordfoundations.com i have a gift for all your listeners oh please um, they can go to discoverbedrocktruth.org slash seven six and download a pdf file that uh is a uh, a, a list of 12 characteristics that uh, were true of the founders in the revolutionary era. Awesome. And uh, I think it'll be uh, helpful to them. And there's a link as well down there to an article that I wrote. In Perfect. To that. Well, thank you, Bev. Hey, God bless you. You're an inspiration and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thank you, John. I appreciate what you do. You know, Bev is absolutely right. Our history is under attack. This is happening throughout the entire country. Some regions, it's worse than others. But what Bev is doing needs to be replicated all over. People need to understand the significance, the importance, the achievements, the virtues connected with people of the past, symbols of the past, um, and, uh, and, and ideas that are no longer in vogue, but uh, are virtues, really, uh, that uh, exemplified much of the past, but um, do, do not have a place as much, unfortunately, in our culture today. We need, to, um, we need to recapture these things. We need to remember these things. And we need to practice a lot of these things. It doesn't mean the men of the past were perfect or women of the past. It doesn't mean that people living in the past were um, always in the right and, and you know they always had better ideas. They always um, executed better judgment. But it does mean there's something that they had that was valuable that we're missing. And C.S. Lewis, I remember this often, that he talked about the importance of reading older books because it's it's how you gain perspective on your own time to compare it to the way people thought and lived uh, in in previous times. 
And we need a, a big chunk of that today because uh, people today, the, the modern modernity, the, the modern mindset is that um, there's really nothing of value, of, of value in the past. It's kind of like everything's kind of like technology. Technology increases. It gets better uh, you know, over time. Well, the same thing with morality, right? The same thing with every other facet uh, of our world. And that's just not true. That's just not true. Um, things are actually in many ways getting worse and I think it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Cancel culture is like a tidal wave. And as it, it approaches us, right, um, and it takes out certain things, you know, there goes John C. Calhoun. There goes um, any, any person connected with the South, uh, with, um, with, with the Confederacy, even if that wasn't even their, the, the main thing they were known for. We're going to rename uh, birds, you know, who were named after people who fought for the Confederacy at one time. We're going to rename, a, we're going to get rid of a gavel, right, used at the Southern Baptist Convention because a slave owner touched it, you know. The, I mean, this stuff, it's, it's, it's a tidal wave moving forward. You know, there goes Christopher Columbus. He's, he's canceled now. He's gone. His statue's ripped down. Keeps coming, keeps coming. And, um, and, and now some of the founders are starting to topple. Abraham Lincoln was just taken out of um, uh, a park in, in Boston, I believe it was. Uh, this is, it's happening right in front of us, and the Republicans can hardly do a thing about it. And that's the sad part of this. They don't, they, they can't see how this is all connected. And it, it parallels in many ways what happened in the Cultural Revolution of China. Um, th this is the same kind of thing. Uh, I think I read in a book recently it was 80%, 80% of the, the monuments and statues and things that existed in China gone because of Mao Zedong. And his wife was really the one that uh, led that effort. But uh, this, is, this is what we're experiencing right now. We have a communist revolution right in front of us. Yeah, it's different than some of the other ones. Everyone's a little different, but people um, don't want to admit this. A lot of people, I think, would rather have their heads in the sand. And we do have a little bit of freedom. Yeah, I know social media is clamping down. I know it's hard to get access to things, but we do have a little bit of freedom to still try to get the word out. And people like Bev are trying to do that. And I would encourage you, uh, use his material, create your own material, whatever platform you have, whether even if it's just your own kids or grandkids, um, talk to them, learn. And if you don't know how to talk to them, learn first. And there's plenty of resources out there. Bev has resources. I've often, um, when it comes to history, I've often plugged Brian McClanahan's stuff, uh, Learn True History. I actually... LearnTrueHistory.com is another place you can go to get some of his stuff, but I think it's called McClanahan Academy. If you use, uh, it probably still works, the promo code Harris, you'll get a discount on that. Um, and there's all kinds of other places you can go. There, there's just there's there's a lot of great resources. Um, unfortunately, there's um, there's so many bad resources out there that it's hard for people to kind of whittle down. Uh, if they don't know what they're looking at, what the good ones are. So that's why I'm trying to help. I'm trying to steer you towards some things that that'll be helpful. Um, I want to, to highlight someone else as well because uh, Bev is, is a guy who we can gain inspiration from. This is not his field. This is not uh, the, something that he's gaining money from. He's making a living off of. It's just a, it, it's a passion of his heart to study and get this material out there. Uh, I want to uh, introduce you to someone else. Uh, Rebecca Dillingham is doing the same kinds of things. And um, what she's doing actually connects to what Bev's doing because Bev is trying to recuperate and, and uh, help us to remember some of the valuable things, true and valuable things from our own history that we can take inspiration from. And Rebecca um, is trying to do the same kind of thing, but she's also tracking with kind of where cancel culture is right now, what it's taking out. And just recently, uh, a big, giant Robert E. Lee monument was taken out of Richmond. And Rebecca grew up in Richmond, so... Um, I'm going to have Rebecca 
talk about that with all of us. How did this happen? Uh, were laws ignored? What's the strategy being used? Is there a way to fight this? Dissidentmama.net or .com will take you to uh, Rebecca's website. And Rebecca is born and bred in Richmond, Virginia. She um, has taken it upon herself to fight uh, the cancellation of monuments, especially Southern monuments. And um, what I, the reason I want to talk to her now and for everyone to hear what she's saying is that there's really two things. One, she, she knows better what's going on there in Richmond, which um, it, to be honest with you, I think the tactics that are being used in Richmond are going to be used and are being used already in many other places around the country. Secondly, um, Rebecca is a, a homeschool mom. She's uh, this is not really her. You wouldn't expect someone as busy as she is with all the responsibility she has to have a podcast or to be uh, trying to be involved as politically active as she is. But she is involved. And um, I want you to hear from her because there's a lot of people around the country just like her fighting local battles. And this is where we're going to win. We can't if we put all our resources into national stuff, we're, we're not going to win. Um, it's it's going to be the little people at the local level fighting these local battles, rallying support and um, all politics is local. So, Rebecca, welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. And thank you so much for giving us some of your time. Thank you for that nice introduction. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Did I leave anything out? Um, I think that's about it. Uh, I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. I left there about 1994, around age 24, but uh, most of my family still lives there. I now live in uh, North Carolina. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's about it as far as bio goes. So recently, uh, as you know, there's been a, I believe it's a court ruling um, that I was surprised to see because I, I knew this was illegal. I knew there was already a law in the books in Virginia. You can't take down monuments to um, soldiers. And uh, this particular um, ruling uh, said that they can take out this huge, and I don't even, I don't remember how big it is. I've seen it though in person. It is, it is a big statue of Robert E. Lee there um, in Richmond and very prominent. Uh, it's been popular for many years. And now all of a sudden, um, it's going to be taken down. I'm not sure what the date is, but can you tell us a little bit about number one, you know, what does this mean to you as someone who was born and bred in Richmond? I mean, is this, do you feel like you're living in clown world? And then number two, how did they accomplish this? How did the left get around the law and rally enough people to, uh, and I don't know if they did rally people, but at least get enough politicians to support this. Right. It's a 12 ton statue and they haven't taken it down in one of their big, Talking points is that, you know, they're very concerned about public safety. So I think they're going to take it down in sections, leaving up the pedestal. Um, they're going to, the first section is going to be Lee from the waist up. And then the second section is the horse's body and head and then Lee's lower body. And then the first section, the third of which um, is the base in the horse's leg. So I think they're going to leave up the pedestal for now because it's all spray painted. And actually a lot of, um, BLM activists and Antifa people up in Richmond want that up because it's spray painted and it's kind of the whole, um, I don't know if I can say this on your podcast, but like revenge porn, uh, that's kind of what I call it these days that it's um, like salt in the wound. It's not just erasing uh, a part of Richmond and Virginia and American history, but it's, it's uh, you know, just death by a thousand cuts. So um, that's kind of my segue into what this feels like. I used to cry when the monuments came down, but you have to get a thick skin with these things and just know that um, they probably are going to keep coming down. So the question would be, 
The big question is what we're going to do about that, um, where we're going to put those monuments, how we're going to battle getting them. And um, legally, um, <laughs> I'm not much, uh, I'm not sure if there's much that we can do because these decisions, it was um, two cases against Governor Ralph Northam. Um, and the Virginia Supreme Court was unanimous in saying that he was fine and doing these illegal acts because what it was, was Virginia had promised to forever maintain the statue with um, two deeds of ownership to the state back in 1887 and 1890. And the deal was, okay, we're deeding it over to Virginia. You just have to keep it clean and maintain it and make sure that it's fine in perpetuity, right? But their whole thing is, well, we don't need to do this in perpetuity because the message has changed. So the General Assembly back in the 1800s, what they were saying and agreeing to is something that the people of today's Virginia Assembly, many of which aren't even from Virginia, um, are saying it means something else. So lost cause, white supremacy, all that kind of thing. So they're just simply saying, we don't agree with the past law. Um, so we're going to change the law because of our feelings and our reinterpretation of what equality means and um, right. the, the rights of the, the, the people of Richmond. And the two lawsuits, one was brought by some of the people who lived on Monument Avenue and one was by an heir to the original people who had deeded it to the state. And he fought it on property grounds so i'm not sure if that was the right way to go and maybe this could have turned around if he did something else but i guess his lawyers thought that that was the best thing that he had a property right to it because he was an heir of the people who had originally deeded it to the state but um you know i i don't want to be super blackpilled but you know I, i'm not sure how you would fight this because i do believe most of the monuments for monument avenue and the other ones they've taken down in richmond i believe richmond has taken down the most confederate monuments since the whole, whole george floyd hoo-ha um but they're in a um um not a landfill what is it called a um a storage uh, facility of some kind it's, uh... it's a storage facility but it's like a like a septic storage facility it's um oh goodness I'm, okay i'm spacing on the word but again it's like this revenge porn thing it's they're, they're being kept at a place that's like a water treatment plant for like toilet water so i'm spacing on the word but that's where they're okay. being kept now so how do we get them where where do we put them because I'm not, you know, Brian McClanahan has said this for years, but they're going to come down. It's the question is, what do we do with them and how do we deal with uh, keeping in touch with history and roots since they're down? You know, on one hand, you have if they're up, they're going to recontextualize it. They want to put like a new time capsule and it's supposedly there's a time capsule somewhere maybe in the pedestal they're going to take it out probably not let anybody read it and put a new one in so on one hand having them up can be problematic too because you have these scalawags and left-wing crazy people running richmond and virginia and a lot of southern cities so even where i think you're right localism is the way to go but i mean there are yeah you know nut jobs in localities too so the mayor and the governor have allowed all of this to happen. So I guess the question is, what can we do that 
doesn't entail the courts, that doesn't entail politics, that entails something else. Well, I do have a question, though, because it wasn't this. I, OK, so maybe this is a different situation, but I thought there was a law in Virginia on the books that was passed just a few years ago that you could not take, take down any uh, war memorial um, of any kind that that was illegal. And maybe they're not considering this a war memorial. Does that have anything? I mean, did they just ignore that or, or does that uh, actually not have any teeth? To my knowledge, they just ignored it. I mean, North Carolina has one too, and they take down Confederate. Yeah, that's all true. The time. So again, um, you know. So what's the point of having a law? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, people just yeah. ignore it. Um, and so in local municipal, like smaller towns, right? I've I've heard examples of these battles being won at times. In fact, there was one. Uh, I want to say it was in Tennessee where. Um, they had watched a five minute like short video that the Abbeville Institute had put out and the town board said, you know what, after watching this video, we're not going to take down our monument. And that's what I'm trying to evoke um, to some extent. There's a multiple reasons I have for making American uh, monument, which will come out. Um, we're thinking about a, about a month and a half. Um, we want that to be a tool people can use to show that these things are valuable, that these things instill character qualities and virtues. And uh, without anything to replace them of value, then you just have a naked public square devoid of, of uh, virtue and um, and rootedness. And that's and, and those are the, some of the things that are contributing to the sense of insecurity and uh, just all the other problems that we have in society right now. There's no example to look to. So um, anyway, that's my spiel. But uh, for, for you and for what you're doing, um, I know it's discouraging at times, uh, but these these metropolitan areas that are so large it seems like they're more playing to a national audience and the people who live there now more often than not they don't reflect the local area like if i go to raleigh or if i go to um charlotte i i think there should be a sign saving you saying like you're leaving north carolina now like this is not or it's not even really national it's almost like an international community in some ways so um so I, that's just that's why I think that in some of these major cities, it, it may be inevitable that they come down. But uh, I mean, have you seen successes on the local level? Uh, I, I haven't. And I would say your point about the, the Tennessee monument would be good. Uh, that would be one place where maybe the politics could make a difference if you could get the locality before it gets to the courts, before it gets to the governor. Now, a governor could come in and just supersede a locality and say, you know, make up some law or change some law or ignore some law. But, you know, if you could possibly change the hearts and minds of a locality, but in a place like Richmond that has been, you know, reconstructed forever, uh, it's, um, it's a very social justice city. Um, it depresses me going there. Yeah, well, well, but it, in small well, towns, you could maybe do that. You know? When did this change in Richmond? Um, like, so because uh, I, I wouldn't have seen this happening 10 years ago. So what's when was the tipping point or like what what um, what can you point to to say, OK, that's the thing or that's this was the moment that everything changed. And, and someone like Robert E. Lee, who would have been a hero in Richmond, went from being a hero to a villain. Uh, there were probably many watershed moments, but uh, I guess when um, probably Charlottesville, you know, uh, everybody's so concerned with being called, uh, you know, a Nazi or a white supremacist or a racist um, when anti-racism becomes something that has absolutely nothing to do with just mutual respect of other people. When it becomes this bludgeon, well, there has to be, I call it the archetype. There has to be someone to blame, you know, that 
a scapegoat is a very historical thing to have. And the scapegoat has become the Southern white Christian man. Now that can envelop a lot of people. That could be some down-home guy in Indiana too, but what it represents is we are the ones keeping everybody from progressing forward. It is us, this archetype, you know, and people that fall within that purview um, that are keeping everybody else from having their kumbaya moment. And Charlottesville, I think, was the watershed moment because it did center around a Lee monument and um, there were a, a diverse group of people there, but you saw the state, the locality, the county, every arm of the system um, to stop people from just going out there and saying, hey, we don't like cultural Marxism. Hey, we like the statue. Hey, be we believe in free speech. Sure, there were some people there probably saying, yay, white supremacy, but they have rights too. And that was definitely not the majority of people. And so I think Charlottesville was the watershed moment. Yeah. And January 6th is just um, a mirror image of that. Um, and, you know, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's been happening for decades before that. This could get really deep, but I think that was the big one that made everything national. So George Floyd happens in Minnesota. 20 years ago, if that had happened, you know, okay, some dude got killed in Minnesota. It wouldn't have been, everything's this national conversation and this national issue, which is part of the problem. And then when you have um, opportunists like Governor Northam and Mayor Stoney, you know, all they have to do is talk about inclusion and a just future and the lost cause and systemic this and systemic that, and um, it's a done deal. And you have some people uh, you know, I've seen some polls that say still the people of Virginia didn't want the monument coming down. But even if that's the case, it doesn't matter because all they have to do is save democracy and then the oligarchs do whatever they want. So, yeah, um, I guess, yeah, to well, me, I, I think Charlottesville would be the watershed. I knew there was a Christopher Columbus statue destroyed. And I, I think a bunch of other statues, even unrelated to the Confederacy in Richmond, destroyed um, is bigger than that. And mm -hmm. Uh, the concern that I have is uh, also that this will eat into other uh, symbols. I know Lewis and Clark was just taken down, uh, what, a month and a half ago, uh, their monument in um, uh, Charlottesville. Was it Charlottesville? Yeah. Right. And I talked to someone recently, I was doing an interview, and uh, I said, do you think they'd take Jefferson down? I mean, they're taking everything else down in Charlottesville. And of course, Jefferson's statue is at the university. So it's uh, probably a little more protected given that um, it, 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 the town really doesn't have any jurisdiction there. But uh, this person's, oh, no, they, they wouldn't do that. And I'm thinking like, yeah, but they would they would have said that about Lee maybe even 15 years ago. That, that would never be 10 years ago. That'll never happen in Charlottesville. So it's moving fast. And um, I guess my concern is uh, in you know, within the next five years, another moment similar to George Floyd. And do we now erase the founders? Is that the next leg of this? Because uh, some of them have already come down, but then, you know, on a mass scale, uh, you know, they're, you know, they, they, they're going to be stored at some water treatment facility. <laughs> so um, that, that's the concern I have is where this train is going. And are we going to be just devoid of any identity, any uh, positive example to look to, except for some kind of activists. Uh, I mean, they, they they don't seem to have a problem, even though they're not erecting statues as often, but they don't seem to have a problem looking to activists um, from the past as a positive examples. But 
if, if all you're looking to are activists and people who kind of tried to beat the system or rip down the system or um, tried to change the system of some kind, it's like, okay, maybe there's a place for that. But if, if it's only vilifying the place that you live and the people that you come from, then there, there's no identity left in that. There's not, there's nothing to reach back to and gain inspiration from in the past to say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I, I want to take ownership because I'm proud of my people and my place and I want to defend them. I mean, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this even with, um, people in the U S military, some of the younger ones going in, they just don't have a sense of like what they're actually, what, why are they doing it? Is it to get, you know, the free stuff that the military is offering them or, uh, or they're stuck, you know, they don't have another option or, or is it because they, you know, genuinely really are invested in the United States and really want to protect the people. And I'm sensing a shift. I don't have any number to point to. I'm just saying I'm sensing this in the, in the air, in the water. Are you sensing the same thing, Rebecca? Yeah, as far as the military goes, all you have to do is watch the recruitment commercials. I mean, it's it's very um, globo homogenized, right? You know, and the whole point is this is what I try to impress upon. I've been trying for years to impress upon like my libertarian friends or people who are like, oh, it's just some rock. Oh, it's in the public square, whatever the taxpayer shouldn't be paying for it, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's the same thing. It is the rootless that is rootlessness that's trying to atomize people. So when you take down Robert E. Lee, you're not just taking down, you know, a guy who owns slaves, you're taking down someone who actually fought the system, right? Uh, they say, oh, the war was about um, slavery, right? Well, yes, it, it's about the enslavement of me and you. <laughs> you know, that's why Lee said the consolidation of states into one vast empire will sure to, sure to be aggressive abroad and despotic at home. It is the precursor of ruin. This is what we're going against right now. So um, I also try to um, touch on the hearts of Christians that say, you know, I don't even think they care about the slavery that much. They just use that word because they know it's extremely powerful and effective. I think they're taking it down because he was a Christian. You know, yeah. I think that's why they went after Lee and Jackson first, because I mean, Booker T. Washington would agree with me that they were extremely good Christians and very good influences Christian wise. Well, th this was black Americans. Th th this was uh, basically just assumed for many years. I, I, even uh, someone recently sent me it was from Saddleback Church, which is uh, Rick Warren. It's a seeker sensitive church out in California. And they sent me one of their uh, curriculum. Like it was a, um, a Bible study curriculum from like 10 years ago. And it it was using, um, I believe it was Stonewall Jackson as a positive example. Um, you have Moody Bible Institute up until very recently publishing books, uh, Bible study material and stuff using people like Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson as positive examples. Th this was something that even evangelicals were uh, you know, totally fine with. And now they're pariahs. No one wants to be associated with them. It, it, it's a, like someone turned a light switch. It was very, very quick. And it's, it's really, though, in elite circles. It's, it's, that's where it's happening. It's not like the people all changed overnight. And I still don't think they have changed. I think there's a lot of um, regard for Robert E. Lee. But if you let this go for too long, it does shift the opinion of even your regular ordinary people. And Robert E. Lee, uh, I've, I pointed this out many times that he, you know, this, this was one of the probably, there's a whole list of people that if you really wanted to fight racism or slavery or something, you would be targeting before targeting Lee. He would have been the example of someone who did not like slavery himself, was against it, 
um, manumitted his slaves. Uh, well, you know, he's the one that said the ground is level at the foot of the cross right after um, the war and was uh, in favor of uh, basically a, a sort of an integration in the church. Um, I mean, he was an honorable man to pretty much everyone who knew him, North and South. And he modeled himself after George Washington. He thought he would, you know, he wanted to be like George Washington. You take him down. It's not a far step to taking George Washington down. George Washington wrote the British commander uh, of New York when he left and said, you got our slaves, bring them back. They're our property. George Washington owned slaves himself. George, I mean, if he's on our dollar bill, but I don't know how much longer he can be there. If you if you really want to apply the same logic you're applying to Lee, there's, there's actually in some ways a better case you can make for taking Washington down. And um, and once we do that, then then what is a, what is the United States anymore? It's you know, we're a young country. We don't have the rich history to pull back to, uh, from, you know, like many European countries do. But if the, the, the history we do have is gone. Uh, then, you know, we're really in trouble. Is it going to be like a, a sports star, music stars? Like, who are the ones that kids are going to be trying to pretend to be like or right. um, to, to have as heroes and role models? So, um, so I, I mean, I appreciate you tracking this stuff. I know it can get discouraging. So, I, you know, I, I just want to say I understand that, empathize with that. And for everyone in the audience who's listening, but um, there are strength in numbers. And I would encourage you get involved. Uh, and, you know, in your local community, try to do what you can preserve the heroes uh, of your local community. They're all imperfect. No one's perfect except Jesus. But um, the things that they did model, the virtues, sacrifice, honor, um, tr- uh, duty to home and country, those kinds of things. Try to try to preserve those things as best you can. And uh, any any final words for us, Rebecca? I was just going to say, uh, you know, people need to understand 1861 to 1865, and that's part of the problem. I think a lot of conservatives and Christians, you know, are on the right track when it comes to other, um, you know, culture war issues, um, uh, existential issues. But if, if you can't see, um, if you your history is bad over the war uh, between the states, there's no way you can understand what the founding is, because if you think it's about mass democracy and uh, America was uh, an apostate nation and that, you know, Lincoln was the fulfillment of it. And then the cherry on top was Martin Luther King. I mean, no way you can defeat any of our founders. There's no way you can defend any of our roots and our heritage. So I would advise people to um, uh, write because that's part of the problem. And I would, my last thing would be, I would encourage people to not be scared to be called names because if you're being called a racist, um, honestly, you're probably doing something right because that word means nothing anymore. And, and and I understand it can hurt your employment and things like that, but um, you know, you have to have the back of people fighting, and then you have to be brave and speak the truth. And I think if more people did that, uh, you know, the people in power would not be so emboldened with their tail tucked tucked between their legs, and um, you know, I. I just people need a very back who are the good fight like you like the abbeville institute um and some other folks like that because the existential thing it's it's beyond a very um existence type battle we're fighting here and i b- believe it's good versus evil so i would say pray a lot do what you can 
leave it at the foot of the cross. Don't cry when the monuments come down, but see what you can do to um, um, understand history better and know that this is just one piece of the cultural Marxist puzzle to, um, to, to hurt people and to actually give some people rights and uh, others to take their rights away. So uh, yeah, just um, do your homework. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Well, that's good. And, you know, teach your children. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about that, especially I think of the, the nation of Israel and what parents are supposed to pass down to them about their own history about what the Lord had done. And you can do that, whether there's a monument in the public square or whether there's public school teachers teaching absolute garbage, uh, you can still fulfill your responsibility. And that's all God's going to hold you accountable for anyway. Um, When this whole thing started, I immediately thought, and I know there's a few like me who did, you might be one of them, Rebecca, that under the current definition of what racism is, uh, the Bible is going to be canceled. Um, yep. and, and oppression really more broadly or with the current definition of what oppression is the Bible's toast. There's no way that the, the what the Bible teaches about the relationship between men and women, uh, even Paul's teaching and, and even some of Jesus's parables that are connected to slavery um, and how to function in a pagan slave system, which the Roman world was um, all the things about nations and the importance of uh, distinctions between nations and boundaries and all, all the things that exist in the Bible that are taught that are, uh, or exemplified will make it the subject to cancellation by the current standards. And um, I I wouldn't want to pick a fight with God. (laughs) That's, that's what these people are doing. They're picking a fight with God when they start down this road. And I think it's little by little inch by inch, the progressives progress every year, but it's been big, big leaps lately. And, um, and so it can be surprising, but don't, don't take it. Don't be disheartened. Take courage. Um, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have a bigger and, and greater and more powerful, uh, force. That's the, uh, God and the Lord Jesus Christ with us. And eternity goes on for a long time. This temporal yeah. world is not all there is. So, um, that's my encouragement. And Rebecca, thank you so much for weighing in on this. If uh, people want to find out more about you, dissident mama, Dot com. Looks like you got a t-shirt there in the background, so you can get a yep. t-shirt that says Dissident Mama on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so um, I appreciate it and God bless. And you have a good day. All right, Rebecca. All right. Thank you. Well, I hope that was helpful for everyone. I hope that was inspirational. I hope that you got to know two people who are taking this upon themselves. They don't have the platforms that um, others do, but they are they're they're building them and they're doing so um, over time, uh, but they're getting good information out there and they're doing what they can in their area of influence and their local communities uh, with the platforms that they have available to them. And I think if this kind of thing locally is just replicated all over the place, this washes away whatever stranglehold the national or international media have. But um, it's, you know, and, and already I see this is, this is a kind of like a hopeful outlook in a way. I know I realize someone, some, someone who's very pessimistic is going to tell me that, uh, John, it doesn't matter because, you know, iTunes and some of these places are they're owned by big corporations and they're woke. And, and I get it. I get it. I get it. But here's the thing. The market's already finding ways around some of this stuff. There's already alternatives to YouTube. There's already starting. Yeah, they're not as popular. I know there's already starting to be alternatives to um even podcasting platforms, and there's competition that's now going on. I remember, you know, right now, um, I'm trying out something called uh, Red Circle. I don't know how long I'll do it. I'm, I'm not been very, I, I haven't liked it that much. But one of the things that, because um, they, they had someone that reached out to me and said, hey, uh, you're on Anchor, would you want to come to Red Circle for your podcast? I said, okay. 
you know, we'll be able to, to get you more revenue. And, and it's, it's not true at all so far. It's like there, it's been like a third of what I was getting with Anchor. But um, but they they want to, um, you know, they're, they're trying to compete. And one of the things I said, and I kept saying it, and I was very serious about it. I said, look, I don't want to be canceled. If you guys are going to cancel me, I'm not coming over there. And I basically got, you know, the person who reached out to me was like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We value free speech. So look, this there is a sense in which people want uh, to compete, and that's a perk. They want to be able to provide free speech platforms. I'm not saying that it's happened as fast as we want. I'm not saying that it's happened as much as we want. I'm just saying it is happening. And um, when you have people that you know personally that are taking some of these issues on, you're a little more likely to trust them. You're a little more likely to think, okay, that's not that kooky because you know what? I, I know them. They're my neighbor. They're my friend who goes to church with me. They're my friend who goes to uh, sports and their kids play with my kids and you know whatever the case is. But that's kind of the thing that I think is going to, th th that's the best way to combat this is a localist approach. You're not gonna be able to fight, the, um, fight on the same platform and level. But th this is kind of like death by a thousand cuts. If you have uh, you know, a million people that are doing what Bev is doing, uh, doing what Rebecca's doing, if, and if they're embedded in their local communities, if they're trusted, if they have good character, if people know them, that's powerful stuff, guys. And so I just want um, that to inspire people. I want you to see that this kind of thing is happening and you can use your social media in a positive way like this. And don't worry about not having a huge audience. Uh, you, you know, you're, you have the, the, the influence that you have is important. And um, if you can affect the people that just live with you or live around you to some degree, you know, you're, you're doing something. And, and don't get discouraged that it's not as big as, you know, I don't know, MSNBC or something. They're not that big, actually. <laughs> um, but, um, but that's my point. So um, I hope that was helpful for you uh, to see uh, some other examples of people that are, that are doing some of uh, the, the same thing in a, in a, from a different angle, maybe, uh, but the same thing that I'm doing. And um, I, I just hope that that inspired you. So God bless, go forward, uh, live your life as best you can for the glory of God this week, and I uh, hope that's helpful. Bye now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. 
For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.